Thank you, Connie, for that. Appreciate that. Great to see you out this morning as we celebrate the Lord's birth today. And last Sunday, we talked about uh, why the human genealogy of Jesus Christ through the line of David is still important to us today. What, how does it relate to us today? And so this morning, we're going to return to our theme passage for this series in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, and I'll have the reading there beginning at verse number 26. So Luke chapter 1, verse number 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Today we're going to look at the third condition that Gabriel announced to Mary about her son, the Messiah. And it's in the first phrase there in verse 33, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And that condition uh, still holds today, and it's so important to us. And this morning we're going to see his prestige. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, thank you for each one who's here today. We know that you have brought each person here according to your purpose and your desire. And I pray that uh, the Holy Spirit would be able to speak to each of our hearts and that we would understand more about the gift that is Jesus Christ and how we should apply your truth to our lives today. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The notes are provided in your bulletin this morning if you'd like to follow along. If you've ever thought that Christmas is all about family, and I know that many people do, you would be right. But it might not be exactly how you think. And we're going to see that here in Luke chapter 1 today. When we think of Christmas and family, uh, we might think of a log in the fireplace with stockings and cocoa and, and candy canes. How many like cocoa? How many like cocoa? Oh, wow. It's pretty universal, right? Uh, how many big candy cane people have at least one a year? At least one a year. When I was a kid... Um, we didn't know we were poor. Um, our parents never told us. <laughs> we just, but our big, sometimes the big thing we got in our stocking was one of those huge candy cane sticks. Oh, man, what a wonderful treat that was to us. But uh, it, it might be, as you think about Christmas and family, think of mom in the kitchen uh, making sugar cookies or snowballs with the little uh, pecan pieces in them. Those are terrific. And then they have powder kind of like a donut all over them. Uh, or maybe she's making Oreo bites. Yeah, how many know Oreo bites? Oh, if you don't know them, you need to know them personally. They're, they're incredible things. Um, maybe mom's in there making divinity. Does that still happen? 
divinity still a thing? Um, or maybe she's making peanut brittle, or in the Spanish, uh, cacahuata crocanta, um, the peanut brittle. And we all have our traditions. But every Christmas, um, my wife makes a birthday cake for Jesus before we read the, the Christmas story and open the presents. And so we, we sing to Jesus, happy birthday, and we read the Christmas story and have the cake. And it's a special time for our family. Unfortunately, um, Christmas is not really about our family, though. It's all about the family of a guy named Jacob, who was a crooked dealer. Even his name meant deceiver. And during a midlife crisis, while he was in a wrestling match, God changed his name from Jacob, deceiver, to Israel, which means prince of God. And in Luke 1 this morning, we read what Gabriel said to Mary. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. Now, Jacob lived 1,800 years before Jesus was born. And so we're trying to find the attachment here today to this phrase that he would reign over the house of Jacob forever. And so Jesus would deliver to his earthly family and to all people the gift of life. As it says in Matthew 1, he would save his people from their sins. Before we can talk about the Jacob family, though, we need to read over in Romans chapter 9 uh, to understand more about who he was and, and why it's important to us today. Romans was written after the resurrection of Jesus, and it was written by a man named Paul uh, through the Holy Spirit to a group of Christians in a city called Rome. So Romans chapter 9 and verse number 6. And I want you to note some things here in this passage. Look what it says, verse 6. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect. For they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by her father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Now, If you're not in the Word of God a ton, that is one of the most confusing passages you could ever read. We're talking about Abraham and who's Rebekah and who's Sarah and Isaac thy seed will be called and what is it all. And and so today in this concise message, we're going to do our very best scripturally to go through this passage and understand who these people are and what does it have to do with our lives today. Is it just a storybook? Is it just a history book? Or is it real for us today? Is this the living Word of God? And so we're going to start in your notes now with this first section of the message, and we say this. Conscious guilt runs in the family blood. Conscious guilt runs in the family blood. Romans 5, 12 says it this way, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin... And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Every son of Adam, it's all of us, 
And therefore, every son of Jacob, who were the Jews, has inherited the fatal disease of sin. All the world has become guilty before God. Go with me to the passage in Genesis chapter 32. If you have your Bible, Genesis 32. And this is Jacob's wrestling match where he was forced to admit before God his true condition. And uh, I don't remember if you ever had an occasion where you had a cousin who beat you up because he was bigger than you. All of my cousins were bigger than I was, including my girl cousins. And uh, so I got beat up a lot when I was a kid. But when your cousin was on top of you beating your face in, or the neighbor kid, or somebody, and uh, what did they tell you to cry out? They told you to cry uncle, right? You have to admit that you are helpless. You have to admit that I beat you. And when you admit how strong I am and how weak you are and what a horrible person you are, then I'll let you up. Doesn't that sound fun? How many look back at your childhood with terrific memories like that? Isn't that wonderful? Um, Children now, they never experience that. Even in their baseball game, nobody wins. I mean, there's, there's no, you know, if you talk to a kid at school and make him cry, uncle, it's the worst thing in the world. But here in Genesis 32, um, Jacob was forced to cry, uncle, by God. And it, so this is an amazing passage. But here we go, Genesis 32, verse 24. And Jacob was left alone, so he's by himself in the town. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. Now this was God in the flesh wrestling with Jacob. And Jacob was tough. He was really tough. Now you got to remember that Jacob at this point in his life was close to 90 years old. And here he is wrestling in the tent. This, this is not just figurative, this is real. So he touched the hollow of his thigh and, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. So he had a dislocated hip. And uh, that's not fun to wrestle with. That's not fun to do anything with. And he said, let me go for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. So Jacob was holding on for dear life. And he said unto them, he said unto him, now this is God saying to Jacob, and he already knew the answer, but he said, what is thy name? Who are you? What's your name? And Jacob, down on the mat, pinned, was forced to say, My name is Deceiver. My name is Supplanter. My name is Trickster. My name is Shyster. My name is No Good. I'm nobody. I'm a trickster. I'm a deceiver. I'm a sinner. He was forced to admit it. And he said, now look at verse 28. Thy name shall be called no more Jacob. But Israel, for as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. So Jacob was forced to admit that the line of sin had gone through all the people from Adam to him, and he was a sinner. He was a deceiver. He was a trickster. And there was nothing good that was running through his blood. There was only guilt. So many times we get this impression because we live in a humanistic society that every person is basically good. And we couldn't be more wrong. The Bible tells us clearly there is none righteous, 
No, not one. As it is written, it tells us right there in the Bible, Romans 3.10, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have been given by our Father's sin. And conscious guilt runs through our family blood. Every one of us has it, and it's a fatal disease. But then we want to see this because we kind of catch up with Jacob and his life. Covenant gifts can run in the family blood. This is the second part of the message. Covenant gifts can run in the family blood. And let me tell you what I mean by that. Still in Genesis, go back with me to chapter 12. We're going to look at Jacob's grandfather, a guy named Abraham. Genesis 12, verse number 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. Now over these next two verses, look at the seven-step promise that God gives to Abram for nothing in return. God gives it to him. Verse number two, I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee, make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. That last one is talking about the fact that Messiah will come through the line of Abraham. And and so we see that happen. Now chapter 17 of Genesis. And we learn a little bit more about this covenant. Once again, God talking with Abraham here. Genesis 17 verse number 4. As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be called Abraham. For, I, for a father of many nations have I made thee. So God changed Abraham's name too. Um, God changed his name from high father to, not high father, but like high up father, um, important father, to father of many nations, all right? So he went from being an important father to the father of many nations. Look further down in the same chapter, verse 15. And God said unto Abraham, okay, you got to remember that that Abraham is close to a hundred years old here. God said unto Abraham, as for Sarah, thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be. So she got a name changed too. And I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. Now I want you to look at verse 17. Then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed. Great hero of the faith here, Abraham. Abraham fell upon his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, that is 90 years old, bear? And Abraham said unto God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. This was a son that Abraham had had through the handmaid. And God said, Sarah, thy wife, shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. Now look at this next phrase. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. So the covenant God made with Abraham went down through Isaac. Isaac was the child of promise. He was the one that was going to receive the everlasting covenant. Ishmael was a child of the flesh. 
He could never receive the everlasting covenant. There's a word picture there for us. Um, With the body that you were born with and the soul you were born with, you will never have eternal life. Can't, Can't happen. It's impossible scripturally. But God says that if you become a child of God, if you're born again, you become a child of promise. That God changes your name from whatever your name is to child of God. And he writes your name in the Lamb's book of life. That's an eternal and wonderful promise. There are some glum faces out there today for having just heard that news. I tell you what, people are like, Ishmael, Abram? What are, what are we talking about here? So you guys are confused, I get that. But could, can I just tell you at the end of the message today, I will tell you for certain how to be a child of God. And it's great news. It's the gospel. And and so here in chapter 17, Abram's name gets changed and he gets the covenant reinforced. Now let's go fast forward to chapter 26 in Genesis. And this is quite a few years later. And now Isaac is the guy on the scene. So you got Abraham who got the covenant. Covenant went down to Isaac. And now Isaac is going to get some news from God. Look in chapter 26, verse 1. And there was a famine in the land, beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. And the Lord appeared unto him and said, Go not down in Egypt, dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee and will bless thee. For unto thee and unto thy seed I will give all these countries... And I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father. So Isaac receives this renewed covenant. And the covenant God offered to Abraham passes down to Isaac. And because Isaac had two sons, the covenant would go through the line of Jacob. Now we read this in Romans 9. And every time I read this in my Bible reading, like, wow, that's a big statement. Because it says in Romans 9, we read it, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. And you read that, you're like, whoa. I thought God was love. For God so loved the world, right? God is love. How could it be that it says this in the Bible? And I want to explain it to you a little bit. Um, The passage is talking about the blessing of nations. It's not talking about individuals. It's not talking about the eternal destiny of individuals. What it's saying is that God in his sovereignty loved Jacob and his descendants with an everlasting love. That their blessings would be so great that it would seem like he hated the other nations. And God sent the covenant and the law and the tabernacle and the temple and the promises all through the family line of Jacob so that Messiah could be born as promised, so that Jesus could be born in the lineage that God had assigned him to be born in. And and so Israelites today are still called by God to enter into a relationship. God wants them to be more than just physical children of Jacob. He wants them to be the spiritual children of Israel. That's what God wants for us too. Um, So these, these gifts can run in the family blood. There are some things that run in your family blood, I'm sure. Um, And you could tell me what they are, and and I'm sure that some of you have ideas. 
Some of you husbands have ideas about what runs in your wife's family blood. Right? And some of you wives know for certain what runs in the husband's family blood. There, there's a little bit of, you know, back and forth on this. And when the in-laws come over after they leave, we're always reminded of what runs in each other's blood. Right? And even when your kids, like, oh, he gets that from his father. Right? She gets that from her mother. And, and we go back and forth sometimes on those things. And we're always, of course, just teasing in love. Nothing serious there. You people didn't come to church to have fun today. I just, I just don't know what's going on in this crowd. I'm going to have to give out uh, balloon animals or something during church. Let's look at the third part here. Covering grace doesn't run in the family blood. Covering grace doesn't run in the family blood. So there are some things that do run in the family blood. Sin runs in the family blood. Some of the talents and gifts and covenants from the past run in certain families' blood. But covering grace does not run in the family blood. Go with me back to the New Testament to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. And we were already in Romans 9 a while ago. And so this is close to the same place. Romans chapter 4. And we've been talking about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. So we're going to talk here, Abraham again. Romans 4, verse number 1. What shall we say then that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, that's a key word, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. So if Abraham could be saved from sin by his works then God had no part of that. God couldn't save him that way. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, another key word, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Look at verse 16, same chapter. Therefore it is of faith, talking about salvation here, it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed. I love this part. Not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So every person who received Jesus by faith becomes a child of Abraham. We, we become a spiritual child of Abraham. We become of the seed of Israel by faith. Chapter 5, Romans, verse number 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So, so basically, all it's saying is this grace only comes from one source. God. Grace can only come from one place. It comes from God. It is only offered to those spiritually born into the family of Abraham or Israel. Grace cannot be passed in human genealogy. And you might have gotten your mother's eyes or your grandfather's nose or your great-grandfather's temper, but grace only comes from God. And it comes, the Bible says, through faith. 
And so then we kind of want to go back and end with the good news here of this, um, which basically is this. The Christmas gospel runs only in Jesus' blood. The Christmas gospel runs only in Jesus' blood. See, grace only comes from God, and the gospel only comes through Jesus Christ. It's the only way that, that God has given us that this can happen. On the night of Jesus' birth, this is in Luke chapter 2, and you guys have probably heard this passage many times. The angel of the Lord, remember, appears to the shepherds, and he says, I bring you, he says, fear not, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Isn't that great news? So, so then the angel came, and there was a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And, and so there was good news taking place. But many times when we talk about Christmas, there's a whole group of people in society um, not, I'm not talking about people who are trying to take the name Christmas out of everything, um, who might be atheist or agnostic in their viewpoints. I'm talking about a good 50, 60% of people who say, you know what, I'm down with Christmas. I like the idea of a baby in the manger. I just don't like the idea that I have to trust in a bleeding Savior on a cross to get to heaven. There are people who think that. I like the baby in the manger idea. That's great. But I don't want to go past the manger. I, I want to stick with the good news of Christmas being the manger scene. But you know, Christmas is not just the manger scene. Christmas is the cross scene. Christmas is the resurrection scene. Christmas is the ascension scene. And uh, Paul later told the church at Corinth, he said, listen, here's what the gospel is. He was on the cross, he died for our sins. He was buried according to the scriptures. He rose again according to the scriptures. And he said, that's the gospel. First Corinthians 15. That's where the word, he, he defines it. He says, this is what it is. And so Christmas for us is much bigger. Um, but there were people, even the very week, the very time when Jesus was born, there were people who understood this. So look at Luke two, chapter 2, if you want. I quoted a couple of verses from Luke 2 that are very familiar to most of us. And look at Luke 2 for just a second. And a little bit further down in the passage, Jesus um, was eight days old, and he was going to be circumcised. And so they took him there to be circumcised. And yeah, there was a, a man named Simeon, a devout man. And he had been waiting for the Messiah through the house of Jacob, his whole life. Look at verse number 30. Here's what he says when he sees the baby. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Look down a little further. A lady there also named Anna. And she was a very godly woman herself. Look at verse 36. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was a great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instant 
gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for, now I want you to catch this, that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So here's what Anna said. She said, listen, this baby right here, he is the hope of glory. He is the Savior of the world. He is the redemption of Israel. That's very important, the wording that she just said. Even though Jesus was just a baby, he would grow to be hung on a wooden cross for the sins of all mankind. And it's curious that Anna used the word redemption there. Because Ephesians 1.7 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood. Not his birth, his blood. In whom we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. That's Ephesians chapter 1. Now bear with me and go to Ephesians 2. You guys are doing great. Ephesians 2. Always on choir cantata day, there's like half the crowd that falls asleep during the cantata, and then they never wake back up. And sometimes we come back for the communion service, and they're still asleep in the chairs. Um, when I was in college, we had a kid that fell asleep all the time in class. And one day, um, some people who were meaner than I was, um, well, there, there weren't very many people that meaner than I was, but um, what we decided to do, during the class, he was out. I mean, just asleep, dead asleep. And we said, okay, let's all sneak out, and he'll miss the next class. He didn't miss the next class. He mixed the next class, and the next class, and the next class, and the next class, and like five o'clock that afternoon, eight hours later, he was still asleep in that chair. That man needed sleep. What's the, uh, was it Rumpelstiltskin? Who's the guy who fell asleep? Rip Van Winkle. Yep, it's the Rip Van Winkle story. I didn't prepare to tell it today, but I'm trying to keep you people from Rip Van Winkling during church. So, so you've got to watch that. Ephesians 2, now look at verse 11. Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, that means you're sinners, you, you deserve eternal death, who are called uncircumcision. That means you're not Jews. By that which is called circumcision in the flesh made by hands. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens. Have you ever been called alien before? From the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, I love that, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off, are made nigh by the birth of Jesus Christ in the manger. Nope, by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. See, his birth didn't bring redemption. His blood brought redemption. And it's important for us to remember that the Christmas gospel, the Christmas gospel only comes in Jesus' blood. First Peter says it this way, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed by corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Hebrews says, neither by the blood of bulls and goats, but by his own blood, he entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. And this, this is such a precious story, the gospel. 
But we think of it as, okay, there were shepherds, and when did the wise men come in, and were they there that day, and did they come later, and there's a star. But you know, right before the wise men had even gotten out of the country, a wicked king named Herod sent mercenaries into the town of Bethlehem, where Jesus had been born. Jesus was gone. His, his father and mother had taken him to Egypt, and they were out of the country. They went into Bethlehem, and they slew. They murdered every child that was about two years old and under. When you read that passage, you're like, whoa, how could that happen? You know, there are times when we ask that question, aren't there? How could that happen? And sometimes people say, well, how could God let that happen. You know, bad things don't happen because of God. Bad things happen because of sin. Sin brings forth death. And it, it wounds us so deeply when bad things happen because we wish there was another answer than the fact that we're sinners. We don't like that. But even through that horrible time in Bethlehem, Jesus grew to walk the earth. And he grew to go to that wooden cross. And the most devastating, horrible day that anyone's ever faced, he faced on that cross for us. As he bled and he died for our sins. And that's what brings us redemption. Could I tell you the greatest possible thing you could do for your family this year? Become a part of a new family. Become a part of a new family, the family of God. By grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, who was born in a manger, hung on a cross, resurrected unto life, and he's returning again to take his children home for the greatest family feast there's ever been. Can you imagine how good that feast is going to be? When Jesus calls us to glory, you think Christmas dinner at mom's house is good. Oh my goodness, the marriage supper of the Lamb is going to be extraordinary. I'm sure that there will be foods that we have never even dreamed of. There are recipes that have been written from eternity past that we don't know yet. Some of the best cooks in this room are going to be outdone by God. Right? I doubt if sushi will be on the menu, young man. There may be a fruit from the tree of life that tastes better than steak. Can you imagine that? How many of you are vegetarian and you'd admit it? Well, you're all Idahoans. What, what do we expect? Sometimes, maybe. You know, there'll be things that God's going to serve us at that dinner that'll blow your mind. But to be there, to experience it, you have to be part of the family. And you don't get in the family by going to any church. You don't get in the family by doing any good work. It's not by works of righteousness. You don't get in the family by lighting candles or giving money to the poor or helping to the Salvation Army. You don't get in the family by any experience you've ever had or dream you've ever had. You get there by one route. 
God's grace. God's grace through faith in a crucified, risen Savior. He that has the Son has life. I hope you have the Son. If you don't have the Son of God in your life today, in just a moment, I'm, I'm going to pray a prayer. And I want you to know that praying any prayer that anybody's ever told you to pray, it can't save you. But if you mean in your heart before God what's being said, God can save you. The words themselves don't save you, but Jesus saves you. And if you've never accepted Jesus into your life, I'm going to pray a prayer where you can do that today. Let's bow in prayer. And as we bow, with no one looking around, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, if you have doubt about where you'd spend eternity if you died today, you could say something like this, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that because of my sin, I deserve eternal death. But Jesus, you were born in a manger. You died on a cross to pay for my sins. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I choose eternal life through you. Come into my heart. Save me today. Thank you, Jesus. With no one looking around, as a testimony of faith, if you just pray that prayer, no one's looking around, only God's going to see. If you pray that prayer today, would you slip your hand up as a testimony to God? Jesus, I pray that prayer today. Yes, God bless you. Yes, yes, God bless you. We can show you from the scriptures more about salvation today. Maybe you want to come and dedicate your life at an altar. Maybe you need to pray for a family member. Maybe you'd like to come and pray for the devastated families in Connecticut and their healing. I don't know what God's laid on your heart today, but in just a moment, we want to invite you to bow before God or to sit in your seat and pray to God for things in your life. We have counselors available if you need to talk to somebody today. Whatever it is, God's laid on your heart. Father, would you work now during this time? We ask it in Jesus' name. Would you? St-